there was a moment that with Rory beforehand that for whatever reason just kind of irked me a little bit and I feel like it plays into uh, um, I guess maybe my own perspective on stuff like this but he was talking about they were talking before the tournament about how he brought Bob Rotella out there for the week or something you know he was out he was in his press conference just like yeah you know he was reminding me of that I just need to go out there and put like a six-year-old and I just was like I just thought that was so ridiculous. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols, and I've got a very special guest on the show today. His name is Patrick Grimes. He is, um, among other things, he uh, played golf at Stanford. He played on the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour. He caddied for Patrick Rogers for a season. Monday qualified for the Valero Texas Open and the experience he got from that. We get into all that. And then at the um, towards the end, uh, kind of the latter half, we, we talk about the Masters uh, and how psychology came into play at the masters how it led to the results we each kind of gave our you know top three ways psychology came into play at the masters so it's a really really interesting conversation from from a guy who's very smart and also has that professional experience to back it up so i I really enjoyed this conversation with patrick Uh, so before we get into it this is kind of a unique thing um, and i'm kind of coming up with this off the top of my head but if you would like to sponsor the Mental Golf Show, if you would like to to place an ad in somewhere in the Mental Golf Show, if you think your product or service or book or uh, business or whatever it is would fit well uh, with the Mental Golf Show, if it, if it kind of jives with, with what we are trying to do here or it's golf-related or psychology-related or anything like that, if you, if you think that would be a good fit, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Send me an email, mentalgolfshow at gmail.com. I would, I'd love to, um, uh, you know, promote your product while also uh, helping myself uh, because this is one of the, I, I highly prioritize this, this show, but as, as you know, I've been doing it for free for, for uh, several years now, and I would love to make it more higher quality, do it more often, and making money off of it would be a great way uh, for me to really prioritize it and make it as good as I possibly can. So if you think that would be good for you, uh, send me a message. Uh, Again, that's mentalgolfshow at gmail.com. Send me an email. Okay, let's let's get into this uh, conversation with Patrick Grimes. All right, Patrick, thanks for doing this uh, with me. Thanks for being on the Mental Golf Show. Um, I've, I've kind of looked into you over the last uh, couple weeks. Um, uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, connected us, and I, I saw a post you did on Instagram, and I'd encourage everyone to go over to Patrick's Instagram to, to see this for yourself. Um, he's been putting out some good stuff lately. But you, you kind of detailed your transition from playing and caddying and and that kind of thing into what you do now but before we get to that let's rewind a little bit to kind of the chapters of your life um maybe first of all like if you had a book that was your life what would you title it up to this point Mm. put you completely on the spot yeah 
That's a that's a great question. You mean like for the story of my own life up to this point? Yeah. Hmm. I, I would I would go probably along the lines of like you don't know what you don't know. You know, it's like hmm. yeah, I, something along those lines to where I'm. You think it's I'm sort of entering this phase, I guess, in my life now where it's like you've expected things to be one way or had a certain, certain vision. I think a lot of junior golfers and, and pros can relate to this, that, you know, we, we grow up watching a certain uh, slice of the golfing world, wanting to create a lot of the same things for ourselves. And so that was very much my own, my own vision was to, to get to the top, you know, playing professionally and, and create amazing memories and play on tour and, and do all that kind of stuff. And I found that, the pursuit of that kind of got me down a very different path after a while, just exploring the mental and psychology stuff and getting more interested in that. And then having my own experiences and finding that eventually I felt more excited about helping people. And so uh, that's sort of become the next phase of where I'm going. And I, I think when it comes to like, you don't know what you don't know, you just, I could have never anticipated that it would go in this direction. Like it feels right and it's good, but you just, you know, everybody can, can kind of say that they've had that experience to some degree in life. I think is that you just never know what to expect. And as long as you keep an open mind and open heart about where it's going and be continue to, to, you know, follow the thread of what's exciting and, and having the courage to do that, um, then it can lead you to some, some cool places. So. I'm excited about where, where things are going now. Yeah. I like that. It kind of has, has an inherent kind of curiosity and, um, not stuck where you are. You, you still have life to go, right? Your book isn't finished. We're not on the last chapter. So you still don't know what you don't know, right? You're still learning as you go. Um, so obviously books have chapters and who knows where you are right now, chapter wise, but, uh, Maybe in a future conversation or it's it we don't want to ignore like chapter one and two of like your of when you're you know born and raised, but if we can if we can kind of jump to like I don't know, chapter three or four or whatever of like your college career, uh college golf career and then what you did kind of after college golf that um maybe that arc of how you got to where you are. And I'd love to talk to talk about like your Valero Texas open experience. Um, that seems mm-hmm. to be like a, a kind of climax up to this point of your career, but, um, kind of get us college golf into pro golf, those kind of chapters. Yeah, sure. I, I had a, a pretty good junior career locally and then, you know, at the national level, um, to where I, I got recruited to play at Stanford. So I was, I was in that class, that 2011 high school class you hear talked about a lot. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> we're all in our thirties now, which is pretty funny, but um, just a lot of really, really good players. You know, when I started playing national stuff, I grew up playing against Jordan Spieth, Patrick Rogers, Justin Thomas, Emiliano Grillo, Berger. So a lot of really, you know, great names, mainstay guys on tour that, um, that I got to play against a lot. And, 
yeah, I started off my career at Stanford. We had a really, really good team. My freshman year, we, um, Patrick Rogers was coming in and, and doing really, really great off the bat. We had some, some great seniors and, um, got to play the national championship at Riviera my freshman year. That was, I think, looking back on my, my own personal college career, that was sort of a highlight, I think, to just go play a golf course like that. And an NCAA event was really, really special and they haven't really come back there. So I guess I caught it at a good time. Um, and so, you know, my college career was, was, I think a really important time in where I see myself now, just because I felt like, I think maybe there was a little bit of like, a maybe being a big fish in a small pond in my junior career where I had a lot of success and I think a lot of expectations of where it could take me and just never, I never really, I, I never saw that match up at the national level in quite the same way. Obviously you got to make a jump playing against better players, but I just felt like I wasn't quite making that jump on, you know, I, I did win a couple of those AJGA tournaments and, but they were usually the smaller ones. And, um, you know, just, I felt like when I played in the biggest events that I could get into at the time that I just wasn't quite either stacking up mentally or, or performing or really making that jump in college was the same way. I felt like, you know, I wasn't, my game just wasn't translating into those top 10 finishes or, you know, I was kind of in and out of the lineup and, and I think, you know, over time that took a toll on my mental health in a lot of ways, because I just, you know, I wanted to be on a trajectory of getting ready for my pro career. And I felt like I was making some bad decisions about my game and just, you know, not my freshman year, I, I kind of made some swing changes on my own that um, just really focused on hitting a different shot off the tee, but I didn't really understand what that was doing to the rest of my game. So my swing changed a lot. And, um, you know, it got me to the point where I was starting in the lineup my, the end of my freshman year, but it, it made my game super one dimensional. And then, and then, you know, I kind of spent really the rest of my college career trying to find the right formula to build, build my game back to a, not even back, but just improve my game to a place that was versatile enough to compete at the pro level. So, you know, just, it didn't really translate to the college having like a high ranking in college or having lots of really good finishes, but I felt like I had learned a lot um, about myself and, and my game to where I wanted to play still. And I felt like I had made a lot of mistakes to where I was like, you know, if I can just learn from that and do this right, then this will start to come together in my pro career and try to give myself some time to really, really let the pro golf journey unfold. I think, you know, for various reasons, a lot of people don't do that. And a lot of it's obviously the, you know, it's expensive and, and it's difficult to just get off the ground if you don't have a lot of support. Right. So uh, I was able to find ways to kind of make that work, but similar kind of thing really in my pro career where I felt like I it wasn't translating. I was just scratching the surface on like, I got my card on Latin tour and, you know, I, I did okay in terms of like, kind of having a place to play but you know I just I would get in and miss cuts I didn't really have anything to really point to um in terms of 
you know, aside from the just continuing to improve, didn't have a lot of results really to go off of. And that started getting me much more into the swing stuff and the mechanical stuff. I felt like my short game was always really, really good, but my ball striking did not translate to that level that it needed to be. Uh, so I started working with Jeff Smith, who really, really helped me understand um, this stuff a lot better for my game, kind of gave me a fresh perspective that was a big relief. And that was when I really started to make better jumps. You know, I, I had a year that I, um, I narrowly missed final stage, which I think would have, would have changed my following year a lot. A lot of you guys, people that know the system know if you get to final stage and have some corn fairy status, that really changes things. Um, so I just missed out on that. And I, I Monday qualified for corn fairy event and did okay. And then, um, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the Valero was kind of, I kind of, of started doing Monday qualifiers during COVID a lot because there weren't a ton of other opportunities. Some of the, you know, like Latin and Canada were a disaster with travel regulations for a while. And um, those were kind of shut down. So I, after some close calls, I Monday, Monday qualified into the Valero in 2021. And um, yeah, it was, that was such a cool experience because I had been close and I, I, I eagled two of the last four holes to get into the tournament um, and kind of, you know, uh, sneak ahead of some guys at the last second. And it was super exciting. I caddied in that tournament three years before that for Patrick Rogers. Um, so, you know, I, uh, it was cool to come back and be, be playing and see everybody out there, but it was, uh, yeah, that was sort of what made me realize I was kind of, I didn't, I wasn't done after that, but like, I kind of realized where golf was starting to stand for me in this whole deal through that experience. Um, you know, I can, I can talk about that a lot more for sure, but in general, I just kind of, I had a week where things got really off and it was just kind of mentally shut me down um, and just became, you know, I finished all the way down, I think at the very bottom and just became like a very humiliating experience, honestly. Like I wanted to go out there and at least like, I felt like I, you put, I had put so much into the Monday's qualifier scene that, you know, once you get there, you feel like you really have to take advantage of it. And, and that's, you know, obviously not the right mindset to be having. Uh, I just didn't really avoid that started kind of pressing early for no reason and then just just kind of fell back fell down from there and it, but it made me realize a lot about like just how good all these guys are out here and kind of feeling like it gave me a better sense of like you know these guys are incredibly good and I got to figure out if I really want to like spend the next few years trying to get out here and can I compete and I started just feeling like I had other things to offer in terms of through my experience and my background. So that's kind of led me to where I'm at now, focusing on the psychology stuff and coaching a little bit and sort of seeing how the, the mental health perspective maybe combines with some of the performance coaching and golf swing stuff. And I'm, I'm sort of figuring out my own way to integrate those things. And that's a, a long explanation of where I'm at now. So do you do you look back on college golf or 
mini tour golf or the Valero experience. Um, do you look back with any regrets or any, um, I don't know. How do you look back on that time now? Regrets? It's hard to say whether they would be regrets. I mean, there's things there's, but there's, they, it kind of feels like that. Cause there's just a lot of things I would do differently. And obviously I, I had, I feel like things might've worked out maybe in the way that I expected. Although now I, I kind of, I do feel much more grateful that it's led me to where I'm at now. So it's hard to say if that would qualify as a regret. Right. But in terms of uh, what I would do differently, I think I just, I almost like regret or almost resent the kind of lack of knowledge that was out there right at the time that I was, I was playing college golf at a very interesting time in terms of very much a shift in like information and like the very beginning of uh, golf instruction is just has changed drastically in the last like 10 years. And I feel like I just, I would have really benefited from like my, someone in my late high school or early college years, giving me the right information to just like build a foundation with mechanics at a critical point where it's like you build that foundation and then that's what you're going with and what you know as a pro and you just, you know, you might make some adjustments, but you're not blowing your stuff up at 25 years old. And so in terms of regrets, you know, I just wish that I had found that information right at that time. Cause when I was like 19, I was doing it like by myself without knowing what I was doing. Trackman was kind of brand new. So we would bring that out and try to figure it out on our own or watch YouTube videos. Like, so it was just, it just got me way too cluttered in my head with bad information. And then, so I, you know, my swing got better and better, but I, I do feel like it was just a lot of, um, a lot of changing and adjusting without really that like DNA of, um, you know, how I swing the club and where I missed the ball and it just made it really hard to, you know, have consistency and know how to play courses and know my game really well. Cause it was just, I feel like I had to change stuff cause it wasn't performing, but it also just never really like cemented itself either, you know? So, um, it, in terms of college golf timing, that's probably a big one. And then, you know, I, I wish that I had had the presence during the Valero to be able to just like, that was such a big, it was a big pivotal point, like halfway through the first round where I was three over through eight and, um, standing on the 18th hole. I'm sure. A lot of people have seen that hole. It's just super tiny green Creek in the front, really narrow. And I, I was like three over through only eight holes of the tournament and thinking like, I got to hit this on the green and make Eagle to start getting back in the tournament. And that's just like, it's a ridiculous play, um, looking back on it. And I, I wrote about this on my Instagram, but I was like warming up that morning and Jordan Spieth was hitting next to me. He had already finished talking about how easy of a wedge shot it was to this front pin out there. Um, and I heard that and I made a note of it and just didn't cross my brain in that, you know, so it's just those rookie mental mistakes that 
you know, I, I look back on that being such a pivotal thing in terms of like how bad my performance was and my priority shifting, but it's, it's pretty simple in terms of what caused it. You know, if I, if I was a tour player playing every single week, you would just learn from that, not make that mistake again. And you'd be teeing it up three days later with another chance. But when you don't have any status and you're Monday qualifying, it's like, I have no idea when that next chance to just put that into play is, is going to be. And in my case, I just, I didn't qualify again and I missed Q school and, and it just kind of, you know, got my wheels turning on other things. So, um, yeah, in terms of regrets or pivotal points, those are kind of like my top two during that time. So to, to the kind of average golfer listening, obviously you're, you're talking about a whole different level of golf. Um, and, kind of that unique um i i don't know if i'm going to be able to even put this into play next week like it could be it could be another two months before i'm on this stage again so mm-hmm. it it feels urgent right now to be able to hit the make a perfect swing right now but to and i'd like to get into that a little more that kind of urgency but to the to the average player that's listening where they're just kind of maybe playing once a week or a couple times a week or once a month. How does that, that kind of desire to always tinker, always change something, always try to, to make your swing able to perform right now. How, how do you think about that right now to, if you were going to be talking to kind of the 10 to 20 handicapper? Yeah. Um, you mean like for their own game? Sure. Yeah. How, yeah. how they apply yeah, it or yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, the way I look at all this stuff is like, there's a, there's an emphasis on trying to have a perfect swing or a perfect shot shape or that. And, and there is, there are things that, you know, you would want to look for that would be ideal, but the truth is everybody has their tendencies. And, and I, I think one thing I learned from playing, pro golf it's just like that's applicable to anybody is just the that it's valuable to have tendencies like it's good to know what you know that you have a left miss or a right miss the key the really the only difference between the pro level and um you know your five ten handicapper in a lot of those ways is just that very often that 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 miss is one direction for a pro um and it's just maybe a little bit less severe so it's just you know for an amateur it's like if you can if you can find an instructor that will help you understand why you know one thing i think if you can boil it down to one maybe two things about like oh when i hit it left this is what causes it and so you can look at your your patterns and not be freaked out by them because at the end of the day it's like you're pretty much always doing the same thing and the club face is just you know shades of gray in terms of how different where it's aligned but the movements are pretty similar right and if you can really get to that at an amateur level you don't need the film or anything if you just have somebody help you understand like oh i stopped turning and that's why i hit it left and you can go play and just say hey oh i got to make a bigger turn on this next one and you can make it that simple um i think that's where you start to really make progress is like just you can simplify it to a point that's like really hones in on your own game and just not worry about the details too much. It's like, it's your swing. It's not changing a whole lot. We're 
you can do some stuff to practice and work on it. But then when you go play, it's like, just know what those simple, simple little movements are to kind of, all of us, I think are capable of focusing on one thing when we're swinging. It's when it gets more complicated than that, that, you know, nobody can really, nobody has the bandwidth to, to play great and be thinking about four or five things. So that's sort of my perspective on that. Yeah. I like, I like the idea of when you're playing, you've got something simple and credible and kind of concrete to go to as you're playing rather than spending the spending five hours. uh, Okay. The first hole I'm going to do the thing that my is, is the good swing thought. Okay. I bogeyed the first hole or I doubled or tripled or I sliced my drive. Okay. Second hole. Let's try it one more time. Okay. It goes bad again. And then you spend, okay, whole three through 12, you're trying eight different things. And, and then by finally, by the end, you relax and say, okay, well, I'm just gonna, and you oftentimes play those last holes better. So having that simple concrete thing, um, I think is essential, uh, to, to, and in addition to that, sticking with it, right. Even through the difficult times, is that, Is that like uh, you wish you had listened to your own? Like, did you have that um, inner conversation? Like, Patrick, you need to just stick with what you got, but decided against it. Is that how? Is that what that inner conversation was going like for you? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I certainly my, you know, that moment at um, at Valero, for example. You know, part of another aspect of a rookie mistake I made was continuing to attribute that to swing stuff. Like at, I had made so much progress to where I was, you know, I was shooting in the sixties and pretty much all of these Mondays and just kind of missing out. And just, you know, I was close. I lost in a playoff for like the Sanderson farms or something. I was like very much trending and people around me could see that I was trending and things were improving. And, Um, you know, all of us can be our own harshest critic, you know, that's a relatable thing for everybody that plays golf. Um, and then I think I had that, you know, playing on tour and and seeing that, you know, if I mentally am in a bad place that I saw like, wow, my game can still shoot those kind of numbers, like still go super high and, you know, not break 80 out there. Like, so to me, I was rather than just saying, Hey, you know, things happen with some inexperience and you're learning and it's all good. It's part of it. I was like, well, this isn't, this doesn't stack up. (laughs) This isn't translating. And so I started doing stuff on my own really like without talking to my coach, trying to fix stuff. And, and that's when like, you know, it was almost a little bit like I kind of knew that I was going to focus on other things. And I maybe even like a little bit of just sabotaging unconsciously to just be like hey i'm i'm ready to move on because i just yeah i started doing more different swing stuff that made it get worse and it didn't help and then i just got tired of it and and that was it so you know just uh i think honestly at the end of the day as it relates to anyone playing it's like we think we know because we're we're the ones swinging the club we think we know what we're doing or we think we know what our tendencies are and now that i'm teaching a little bit and interacting with different people I can see like it's like it's not usually very accurate (laughs) what we think we're doing or what we think we need to do so it's really useful to have 
um, people around you or just an instructor or a coach to just be like, who do you put your trust in? Who do you confide in? You know, there's a reason that these guys have teams around them and they're disciplined and they know that um, it's not their job to be the technician. They just need good information and they trust those people. And I think sometimes it's e easy in golf to, to um, place that trust in an area that you might not have expertise. And that's when you kind of waste time going down rabbit holes and, and we've all done that. So um, I think now coaching, that's something I really took away from, from that. Right. So to transition into what you're doing now, you are that person for a, a lot of players. You are the person that hopes that a player will confide in. And when that player comes to you and I don't, you, you might have a mix of players you've worked with for a while or, you know, one off, you know, I got a, a package for three lessons and I might not ever see you again. Maybe a combo of those. I don't, I don't know your personal coaching type of business, but how do you, how do you set yourself up to be the coach that others, that players can confide in? How, how do you build that relationship? And, and maybe that'll enlighten the listener of who they should be seeking out and how they can um, confide in a coach. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you create that relationship in that atmosphere? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, um, you know, a lot of, part of why I'm really enjoying starting, you know, putting stuff out there online and social media and is just, is just because it's, I know how through my own experience in the past, how valuable it is to have good information. And I think a lot of people that go through challenging times and, and move past them or find their ways to cope with them, they end up wanting to just like share that, share with other people, maybe what they didn't have to some degree. Um, and so I feel like, you know, there's a lot of that stuff out there. And I feel like for me, the first place that I've kind of started with, with this journey is like um, not to try to force myself into anybody's camp or like, you know, take on anything I'm not ready for, but rather just like put out, you know, Hey, this is where I'm at and what I'm doing and, and kind of who I am. And that's kind of pushes my comfort zone a little bit with, you know, uh, putting myself out there, not really my nature. So just kind of doing that and going through that and just like putting it all down has been really cathartic for me. Honestly, that's been one thing that's been really valuable. And then it's just great because, you know, people see it and you just kind of see who gravitates. That's really what it's been like is like, it's really like, Hey, I've had a lot of experience and learning under some great coaches and really feel like I understand this stuff really well. And then I have this other perspective from playing and with a psychology background. And that's, that's really, Really all I'm doing is I'm just putting it out there. And so far it seems to be something that's resonating and um, people that are, people are connecting to. So that's really been my process. And I think anyone who's getting into the coaching industry or, or psychology or whatever it is, sometimes I think there's an like this idea that these people know everything or, and a lot of times some of these coaches are, you know, it, they can get in their own heads or in their own, you know, ego about how much they know and not try to push themselves to do more. Um, so for me, you know, 
it will, it's kind of about just continuing my own personal evolution um, and continuing to challenge myself in different ways that this year has definitely been like that without having competitive golf like I'm used to. And then just putting it out there and, and seeing where it goes. So that's really been my process and, uh, and just trying to help however I can when people reach out to me. Yeah. And that's a, that's an endearing quality is I'm, I'm going to, on both sides, I'll attract the players that are attracted to me, right? I'm not, I'm not forcing myself. I'm not, um, and again, I don't know your, the way your coaching is set up or who you like, how you get new players. But if I get a player that means that they want to be with me. They know enough about me and they know maybe my style. So everyone that comes to me is already predisposed to trust me. And on the other side is from the player to you side is I want to work with a coach that is never stuck in his ways or her ways. Mm -hmm. He's always trying to get better. Kind of your the chapter of, or the, the title of your book of you don't know what you don't know, that curiosity, that desire to continue to improve. That's an endearing quality to, uh, if a player is looking for a coach to work with, I want to work. I mean, it helps that you've like played in a PJ tour event. You've, you're a great player yourself. So obviously that's a huge selling point, but knowing that this guy that I work with has the experience, but also is not stuck with the experience he has. He's going to continue to work, work hard and learn more as a, as a player. Um, I, I guess I would encourage players listening to this, find coaches like that, find coaches like Patrick, where they aren't stuck in their ways. They're trying to get better. Um, and they also, you know, kind of jive with the way you go. Is that, does that sound kind of like what you're going for? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you, I've heard this a lot and it's just that you really can't go wrong with authenticity. I feel like people, that's just a quality that people pick up on and just everyone's natural BS meter just picks up on that. It's like, if you're trying to present something that's not you, it's just like very, it's very transparent. And, you know, um, I think, um, for me, that's where I'm not sure if it will turn some people off or be confusing, you know, trying to integrate different things so far in my life in all kinds of random ways. I've sort of just found that the more that I do that and just whatever, whoever I am or what I'm interested in, if I just, the more I like either talk to people about it or just put it out there it seems to resonate. So I'm kind of just like, all right, let's, let's see where that goes. So that's, that's really so far, that's been kind of my style and really just trying to um, learn a lot of learn new things. And it's been fun to um, also actually, you know, tinker with, with stuff in my game that um, it helped, it's helped me so much with my game to just teach people and see the patterns and and just you know have feeling stuff for myself to see like oh does that make sense or um it's really helpful to be also you know playing and know that stuff when you're when you're working with people so how is your game right now if you had to go out and play right now what would you shoot 
I played yesterday. There's this new, there's this course around here, Lake Merced, that just got renovated. It's a, they played some LPGA stuff and some uh, U.S. Open sectionals. It's a great golf course. I love it. And they, Gil Hans redid it. And I played it for the first time. It's so good. It looks great. It's beautiful. Um, so I was dying to get out there. I shot one over and I was like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I bogeyed the last hole. It's kind of around even par all day. It's like, you know, hitting fairways marginal if i if i'm playing golf like that where it's like you know not practicing and keeping it around par and and keeping it in front of me i'm like that's i'll take that for now <laughs> do you ever i i have i had this for a while because i kind of had my moving on moment in 2017 and for a while for a year or two later where my perspective shifted to kind of pour, giving back into the game and and I just I got better. I, w- I was able to get better without practice, without needing to practice as much. So I had those flashes of moments of, man, I I wonder if I could be better than I used to be. Should I get back into playing or whatever? <laughs> Have you had those moments? Those kind of not identity crises, but the like, am I? Um, should I try again? Should I dive back into Monday qualifiers? Have you had that mm. moment? A little bit. It's interesting you bring that up. Um, I found that like when I first moved on and I had I had a clear direction and things going on, like I'm in grad school now for counseling psychology and, and coaching and um, like giving golf lessons and stuff, working with people. And I had a couple weeks off where I had like I had a week off of school and then I went on vacation. And, and so it was just interesting because the minute that I really like the momentum of the, some of the new stuff I was doing kind of stalled. That's when I found myself like sitting around with a wedge in my hand, like, hmm, should I do this again? And so I think it kind of goes back to, you know, why I got into this in the first place, which is just continuing to push yourself and, and, uh, and, you know, find your own personal evolution. Because I think for me, I think there's a tendency in just in life in general to just want to fall back on the familiar and golf that for golf, that's such a big one for me because it's just so tied into how I grew up and so much time spent there that, you know, I'm, I'm working on making a conscious choice to just like not fall too much into that in the meantime, so that I have some space to kind of figure that stuff out, figure out some balance. Um, but to answer your question, you know, it's like, of course, I watched watching last weekend, like, man, that you you get why people put the work in to get out there because that's that's what it's all about, right? So, I will definitely, um, I, I definitely miss like the meaning that that gives you, even in in golf during the tougher times, even if it sucks and it's depressing and you're in these mini tour events in these terrible places around the country, it's it's easier to remember why you do it when you see stuff like that because you can kind of put your head down and keep going remembering that you have those moments and those breakthroughs are exciting and so you know i guess i'm just enjoying maybe a little more of the balance and stability and peace and consistency instead of like the you know the chaos and the roller coasters of of the golfing journey yeah that's i think that's perfectly well said there's no and to your authenticity point, like you're, you still, 
I mean, you still struggle with the like, should I or um, not right now, right? I'm, I'm working on a new chapter of my life. To to kind of take a left turn, um, this is the mental golf show, so I'm I'm really interested in the psychology stuff, and we're gonna get into how psychology kind of came into play with the Masters last week. But before we get there, what are some common with your players and and psychology and and the way you help them? What are some common things that players bring to you that that you that you work on? not the swing side, but the psychology side, what are, what are some common things and and how do you try to help them? Yeah, I think, I think one thing so far, you know, I, I can, I think, uh, I've gotten some people reach out to me just that are like at the beginning stages of their pro golf career, kind of in a similar identity crisis of like, um, a lot of it has to do with just starting and being like, should I do this? Or like, I'm scared about the financial aspect and, you know, trying to keep this thing going. What, like, what's your perspective on that? I would say that's been something that's been like consistently coming up just in terms of, like I said before, where it's like, I'm, I'm just kind of seeing who shows up and what, um, what that's, you know, what they ask me, that's been a sort of a, a theme, um, and you know i've i think i i do think that in like the early stages of starting anything whether it's golf or a startup or whatever exciting thing like so much of the the bigger payoff type of industries or worlds that you know directions people want to go in their life that are more like kind of close to their heart in a lot of ways are really, really scary. And so I think, you know, I'm telling people in, in those right around that age range that like, you're definitely not going to regret doing what you can to, to try and just to be able to say that you went for that and wherever it goes, it's like, at least you have that aspect of knowing like, you know, Hey, that's, you can have some peace with that over time, wherever it goes versus like when you have, you know, all of us sort of with around golf have had that lifelong dream. So to be like right at the door of getting started and just be like, eh, it's too expensive. You know, um, I, I really empathize with that because it's such a factor, but I've just know and seen a lot of guys who just are, are really, um, bullish and just finding their way, whether it's working a few days a week in a shop somewhere or caddying, see a lot of that. Um, and just, you know, not being too fixated on a blueprint of like, this is exactly what, you know, I shouldn't do this if I can't pay a coach to see me every week and, you know, play 30 events a year. It's like guys have figured this out in all kinds of different ways. So just presenting different ways that they could do it. Like, hey, you could save up for, you could just play at home for some money games and just sign up and save for Q school and just see where that goes or, you know, so that's been that sort of perspective and the angle I've had is just like, you know, at the, at the younger stages of the journey, it's like do whatever, what it takes for a while. And if it doesn't make sense at a certain point, then at least, you know, you tried and you went for it. And that's, I feel like that's something even outside of golf that, I mean, you just hear story after story about that, right? How many times do you hear about, you know, Jeff Bezos 
having a that cardboard Amazon sign on his office, you know, it's like just a, it's very common that you can have those struggles at the beginning of starting something really big. Um, so hopefully, you know, people leave those conversations feeling a little more empowered or like excited to, to lean into something uncomfortable. I know how that it's hard. Yeah. And I think that even applies to like the average golfer that, um, that could be listening when you're starting a journey of, all right, I've, I've found a coach that I want to work with. We're changing some things We're we're putting some new fundamentals in place, or it just feels really uncomfortable. You're probably going to have a dip, right? You're probably going to hit some struggles. Maybe you'll start off with like, wow, this felt great, but then why didn't it continue up? It'd be real easy to just eject yourself and say, wow, okay, I expected this, 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 and I'm not getting it immediately. Maintaining that patience will pay off longer term. And and you can, even if six months later it didn't work out, you know I gave this all the effort that was required, and it still didn't. You can move on with so much more peace. Uh, so I think that applies to uh, not just the like young guy with ginormous ambitions, even the old guy with um, meager ambitions. I think that applies all across the board. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and that's one of the most fun parts about golf, right? Is that you don't have to you don't have to have it be a career path to be have be able to relate to those experiences. It's like there's just as much riding on trying to break 80 for the first time. I mean, I really think that's the same feeling, you know, people talk about like and I, you know, I can't say I've had this experience. I've only had, you know, competitive experiences that meant a lot to me, but you know, having a putt that's worth a lot of money feels, I think most of those guys would tell you it doesn't feel any different than when they, you know, were trying to qualify for their first college event or break 80 for the first time. You know, it's like that, that feeling of, uh, of being just at the the door of your comfort zone is kind of like what makes golf so much fun. And that's just as true if you're, getting nine in after the masters on Sunday yesterday, or you're, you know, trying to play full time, whatever it is. Yep. Love it. Okay. So let's transition to the masters. I gave you some homework. It was to, to maybe get to watch the masters and then put jot down like three ways psychology came into play for the masters. And were you able to complete your homework? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was a fun <laughs> right, homework. Cool. Simon. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. So I, um, I, I'd hate for the Masters to be a totally relaxing, enjoyable experience. It had to have some, uh, some stress to it by getting some homework done during it. But um, I did it too. So maybe we can just bounce back and forth. Uh, you, you could list your number one, and then I'll list my number one, and and we can we can talk about each one. So maybe hit me with your first way that psychology came into play for the Masters. Yeah, I think you could start right at the very beginning with this one where I was Rom for putting the first hole. Right. I mean, that's just like such a perfect example of, you know, how a great player will process something like that. It's just those kind of things will probably happen at some point during the tournament. It's just can hit so much differently when, when you do that right out of the gate to where you're like, wow, this just instantly doesn't feel like my week. 
I think most people would probably have that experience. Um, and then, uh, you know, just what did he go nine under for the rest of the day? I mean, it's just like, like the, it's just, just to, to make that many birdies and go that deep out there is one thing. And then to recover from that experience is, I think in terms of psychology, that was, that was something that was super impressive to me. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I looked up his like uh, post round presser transcript and, and the way he talked about it was I just accepted it and uh, it, it happened. Yeah. It sucked at the time, but that's just the first hole time to go to the second hole and do what I can do there. So it, it goes back to your same, um, the thing you just mentioned of you're, you're right at the door of, of some big goal uh, on a big, on a zoomed out picture, or you're right at the door of a round of golf, both you might hit something and have that dip immediately, but at least give it your best effort so you can look back and not have any regrets. It's, it, it applies on a zoomed out level to any age or goal and it on a zoomed in level. It applies, uh, you're, you're probably going to encounter some obstacles, so you might as well accept it and, and, give it your best the rest of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So my first one, um, let's see, I, I, I scribbled this down. I had a crazy master's viewing experience. We, we went to the <laughs> beach and there was family everywhere. I was watching on my phone, uh, 30 minutes here. And obviously the weather made it crazy. It was, mm-hmm. it was really, it was a hard masters to watch for me at least. <laughs> um, but, uh, let's see what I wrote here. There are always, there's always chasers at the Masters because the course rewards good play and it's easier to play well when you're freed up. So uh, I guess like Sunday, this seems to always happen where um, there's the two or three guys at the top, but then there's the like six or seven guys right below and there's always roars like ahead of the leaders and Mm -hmm. it just always gets interesting. It seems like every Sunday. Uh, which is awesome. It makes it really cool to watch. But those those players, it seems like the the top players don't go super low. They just kind of maintain. I think John Rahm played pretty well. I don't know what he shot yesterday, but um, the the lower guys seem to really charge. And I guess my thought was, it's easy to do that when you're freed up and you're not. Um, you're not bound by, I need to play well, or I need to maintain where I am, or I need to get it in the house to get the green jacket. It's easy to play well when you're freed up. Do you, do you ever, did you ever have that experience where, um, as you're chasing, it's easier to play better, but it's harder to play better with the lead. Did you, did you have that kind of competitive experience or do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think there's, definitely times where um when there's nothing to lose you can just go for shots that you probably you don't have to worry about the percentage plays and nobody's really paying attention if it doesn't work out um yeah i mean even just like the the time that i personally monday qualified it was i i was i had fallen back you know to where i thought i wasn't going to get in and, and unless i did something you know, kind of miraculous. And then there's a drivable par four that I hit a driver to like 10 feet and made it. And then the very last hole, I felt like I had to make Eagle. So I took on like, you know, the front pin with a ridge in the middle and 
had to kind of like had to really just hit it in the perfect spot. And I hit, you know, instead of just hitting a, um, instead of hitting like a five iron to like the middle of the green past it, I ended up taking like actually a four iron and trying to hit this like super high slice to this front pin, which is not a shot I would ever try to take on. And it worked out and I ended up getting into the tournament. So I feel like, um, at Augusta too, it's like, uh, the, the way it's set up, you know, there's, there's disaster and massive, you know, birdie streaks that are just like on the same hole. It's like 13, 13 and 15. You can, you can make a big number spinning a wedge off the green if you hit it in the water, or you can make Eagle because you've got an iron in for a lot of those guys. So it's just so well designed in that way for, for all that excitement. It's just, yeah, that place is the best. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and the way you described, um, the, you've got nothing to lose, uh, from like a, like a brain psychology standpoint, when, when you've got nothing to lose, there's, there's really nothing to be scared of. And if there's nothing to be mm-hmm. scared of, there's no, you're, you're free to do whatever you're, there's no tension, right? There's nothing to protect yourself from on like a biological level. And if there's nothing to protect yourself from, you're, you're free to swing away and okay. I made a stupid double like, okay, well I wasn't going to win probably anyway, so there's nothing to lose. So I might as well just swing away. And that tends to make you swing better. That tends to help you swing even better. And, so how can how can players find that nothing to lose mentality uh all the time rather than I'm six, seven, eight back? Of course there's nothing to lose at this point. How can you kind of have that mentality all the time? Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow because, you know, at the end of the day, that's always the case. It's really just the conditions that we put on our performance that make us feel like that, right? it make you can convince yourself that I can't make this play because I need to make this cut or I need to, you know, protect it. Or, you know, it's like, what are the getting more first of just building that awareness of like, what are your tendencies? Cause some guys get too aggressive and that's what their problem is. I mean, there's plenty of guys that, that um, you know, just make a quick double cause they're going at every pin. And that, that's why their caddy's there, right. Is to help them not do that. Um, but for, you know, most of us, it's just a matter of putting the foot off the gas. And I think really what it comes down to is just having that mindset all the time, but then just taking different levels of risk on certain shots. I think that's what makes Tiger what he is, is like, he's constantly just plodding around and, you know, he's making the swing with that mentality, but it could be you know, there's that intensity is 10 out of 10, but he might be trying to hit a wedge 40 feet right of the pin. And it's like, you know, it's really only until he has to take on a certain shot. I remember watching him. Um, it was like one time where I felt like I understood exactly what he was thinking watching him play, which was at that British Open Um whether I think it was the one Molinari won at Carnoustie was Tiger. He was in the mix of that, that one, right? Yep. Um, so it was like the 10th hole and he was like four back and there was this hole, there was this, uh, he was in a 
fairway bunker, but there was a burn like right in front of the green. Yeah. And I just remember, I remember not like he was pulling a club and I wasn't sure what kind of shot he was going to hit, but it was either going to lay up short of this burn or get it up by the green. And I remember like, I think I was watching with my wife and I was telling her like, he knows this is the whole tournament right here. Like he knows that he is four back and needs a birdie or a par. And he's just like gone as long as he can plotting around. And now he knows he has to go for this. And I don't know if the announcers were saying that or not, but it, he just took out like a five iron and hoisted this, this shot out of the bunker and got it like up by the front of the green. And I was like, wow. Mm. that's that's like was so cool to watch how fearless he was in doing that and it could have easily he could have just scolded into the lip and that would be it but he would be like well i knew that was the time so yeah um it's i think it's just making those thing competitively or you know if you're trying to put a score together at home whatever it is it's just like kind of knowing your blueprint and going through it um just being radically committed but then you know just assessing, do I need to just get this up by the front or do I really need to try to get this close? And just, you know, most of the time you can get away with being more conservative than you think. Right. And so, and just picking those moments and just being, being willing to uh, just go for it if you feel like you have to and trust yourself. Yeah. And be willing to make the mistake in saying, Mm -hmm. okay, this might not, turn out how I want it to. And that's that nothing to lose mentality. So it feels like Tiger constantly is, is, you know, you hear the, the, the phrase, like he hates losing more than anyone else. I, I, the way we're talking about it now, it's, it, it kind of makes me realize he's not trying not to lose. I think he's trying to win through his strategy and proactively going for his strategy rather where it it seems like 2019 masters he's he's plodding along he's he's making everyone else make the mistake he's he's just not making the mistake himself and that feels like he's trying not to lose but he has a strategy exactly in mind and he's putting full intensity into his own strategy and that's I, i it's it's uh it's like the perfect mesh of intensity and being conservative but also being proactively conservative. I, I, I love the way you're describing that. I think that that nails it of the, um, the I've got nothing to lose, um, but I'm also going to be smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think he has this incredible mentality of knowing, like, <laughs> I know exactly what to do. And if I just do it, I'm going to win by five and he'll just do it as long as he can and just hang around and just see what happens. And at a certain point, it's like, all right, let's go time. Mm. And I feel like he does that a lot. And it maybe sometimes a lot of times it doesn't work out. And then you also, he's had times where he does it. And then, you know, I think that's what made him so good at building a lead and then just always winning when he had it, because he expected to build that lead. And he was, you know, just like he could, I think some people tend to, um, in, you know, they, so much of it is execution and so much of it is game plan. And Tiger just had that perfect blend where he could have a perfect game plan and you saw how good the game plan was because he was always just putting the ball right there. You know what I mean? He just never miss it in the wrong spot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's just different degrees of 
skill involved in that. You can have the best game plan in the world. Sometimes you're just going to try to leave it right at the pin and snap hook it short side. It doesn't mean you had a bad plan. It's just, so that blend is, I find super interesting. Yeah. The tiger's just so good at doing both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, well said, well said. Okay. Hit me with your second way psychology came into play at the masters. Mm, this one will be kind of maybe unexpected, but there was a, there was a moment that with Rory beforehand that for whatever reason, just kind of irked me a little bit. And I feel like it mm. plays into, uh, um, just, I guess maybe my own perspective on stuff like this, but he was talking about, they were talking before the tournament about how he brought, Bob Rotella out there for the week or something. And, you know, he was out, he was in his press conference, just like, yeah, you know, he was reminding me of that. I just need to go out there and put like a six year old. And I just was like, hmm. I just thought that was so ridiculous. I don't know. I, I kind of understand that. Um, I do understand that perspective and the, the role that freedom and tension plays in putting, you know, but I, I feel like something like that was just such a a good example of my own personal frustration with sports psychology. And part of why I'm getting into that prof profession or that side of things is just like, you know, for an average person or player, it's like, what are you supposed to do with that when people tell you? I mean, it's one thing if you tell Rory McIlroy, but it's like they might need one little key to just maybe that is it's just the freedom piece that they need. But it's like so much of that side of things sometimes is just intangible stuff that doesn't really make sense that you just are like you end up trying to apply and then it doesn't really do anything and you feel like you did something wrong um so for me i just i think a lot of people are craving more specifics with what they can do and for me in my experience i think just understanding yourself better and better is just so so helpful and some of that doesn't even have to do with with golf specifically it's just like knowing your past and knowing yourself i feel like those experiences in your own life they just tend to show up on the golf course like the way that you deal with things in your life is going to be very similar to what you do on the golf course and so you know having that blueprint of really really like deeply knowing yourself and and just having those tools of being like okay this is me when these moments like when i don't put like a six-year-old it's because i'm you know super angry and fuming and can't let this go from two holes ago or you know it's whatever that is from you and what is it about you know your past experiences that made you react to things that way and it might not be golf it might be some how you were raised right so that's like what i find super fascinating and um i think something i haven't personally experienced a lot um in terms of working with people that really put those things together in that way um so anyway, I just, I thought that that comment was, I was like, I get exactly why this might work for somebody like him, but it also was just like, mm. you know, that's just not really relevant for, for most people playing golf. And it, in fact, will just kind of like, I think screw them up because it's like, there's so many more useful things you could focus on and something like that. Yeah. And that's, that's a symptom, right? That's not a cause that it, mm -hmm. Rory has deeper uh, obviously we're, we're talking about someone's psychology that we have never talked to. I'm assuming you've never talked to Rory. Uh, yeah. and, and who knows what resonates with him better. And like you're saying, but that's putting like a six year old is a symptom of dealing with your relationship with your own baggage and your own, cause mm -hmm. 
who has more baggage at the Masters or maybe in general than Rory at this point? He has um, a decade of maybe not great baggage that he's built up. So dealing with your baggage, like a six-year-old doesn't have baggage mm-hmm. is probably why they can put like a six-year-old. So mm-hmm. just telling telling someone that has a decade of baggage, eh, forget about it. That's not probably not going to help. And as you're going, when you're realizing, I don't feel like a six-year-old, you're probably getting more frustrated. Like you said, you're, you feel like you're doing something wrong at that point. So do you, do you think that that, uh, I'm asking you to, to get into Rory's head, but do you think that had a, um, a, uh, effect on his outcome or, or what do you, do you, what could you say that it might've had a effect on his result of missing the cut? What do you think? Yeah, I don't really know what, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that about baggage, um, mm. I, with, with Rory out there specifically, I think, you know, it makes sense that I feel like part of why he went down that route this year, I'm sure has to do with something like that. Like, Hey, I've just made this way too complicated or I've built up this like expectation or, you know, trying too hard to win this tournament, all that kind of stuff. I totally like understand that piece of it. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to watch his whole tournament. I just know that he was like around even par and then he was like five over early in the second round. Um, which is, yeah, just super surprising since he's, he's played so well. Um, I think, you know, with someone like him, it's just, yeah, I think it probably out there just getting out of your own way. And, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I totally get that. I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think for him, it's just a certain year, it's just going to click. It's just wanting that to, to be this year, you yeah. know? Right, right, right. Sure. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to my number two. I, I said, um, prioritizing fun over need. And, um, that's kind of symptomatic too, but I, uh, I noticed a couple guys, uh, I, I, I saw Phil's interview kind of as his quick post round, like standing around all the, all the, uh, press guys, he he mentioned how he was he was just trying to have fun rather than uh, putting a lot of pressure on himself. And then there was someone else. Maybe it was Sam Bennett or, or the amateur, or I don't know, Colin Morkow or somebody that that mentioned uh, just trying to have fun rather than um, rather than feeling like I need to play well. And that that could go the same route of like just play like your six year old or just have fun. That's that's not always super helpful advice, but I don't know. Do you? Um, I like kicking it back to you because you've got some really valuable <laughs> like professional golf experience. Um, do you do you have that experience of because because your career, you know, looking back at um, that's why I asked you about regrets. Maybe it it could have we could cast it overall as like man, what I would have done different. But did you ever have stretches where it actually, it felt fun and it felt, you felt freed up because it was fun or on the reverse, did you ever feel like, man, this is not fun? Uh, what What are your experiences with that? Yeah, I that's one aspect that I feel like is just really important to keep in mind as like a, you know, golf should be kind of just playful and fun in that way. Um, I think 
you know, it's that is just a, it's just a tough balance to strike when you're when you're playing competitively. I think if you can fall back on that, it's great. I think one thing also about you know for these guys on tour where you know hopefully they can have a little more of that. It's like they've got a lot of chances every week. So like you know if this isn't the week, like it's gonna be it's gonna be all right. And that but that just varies depending on where you're at in the standings and at what point in the season, um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I personally had times I, yeah, in terms of regrets, I, I definitely wish I had had more fun, like looking at back at some of the experiences I had, like what I was doing, you know, um, you know, flying to Uruguay last minute to go because I got into the tournament and, and then that particular week, my clubs didn't come. They didn't show up till Wednesday night. So I just, none of my stuff came. So I was just walking around the course with jeans and a t-shirt getting ready. So that was pretty funny. Um, it's just easier to look back on all that stuff and and laugh. And in the moment, it's, it's just so easy to lose perspective. I think just the more that you can um, just find, find some balance and friendships and, you know, more lighthearted things. I think some guys do just have that really genuine, genuine love for it and and the bad weeks just roll off their back and some guys just take it way too seriously mm. uh i think i tended to be much more on that side some of the same things about you know i just described my frustration maybe with sports psychology or some of that comes for me from just the like desire to want to know everything and like have a lot of details and maybe overcomplicating it at times like there's there's a light and a dark side to the same you know, thing, right. I think mm -hmm. it's the same thing that makes me offer a lot of specific details, but at the same time, it can also be simple for some people. So, um, that's a really interesting balance, but yeah, I mean, golf is supposed to be fun. It's yeah. just harder for it to be fun when it's competitive, but the opposite is when it's going well and it means a lot Then it's really fun. Yes. Right. So. Yeah. It's easy for Phil to walk off this particular masters and say, Oh yeah, I was just trying to have fun. Well, I mean, you almost won from, you know, who, or however far back he was looking at the leaderboard it, he didn't almost win, but man, he, I mean, it was a factor at one point, Rom could have, you know, made a couple bogeys and then Phil's two back and it, it could have got interesting like that. So it's easy to say, yeah, mm -hmm. it was, it was fun. It's fun when you shoot five, six under, uh, but mm -hmm. having that kind of proactive mentality of, the kind of nothing to lose also kind of goes into that. Um, it's easy to have fun when there is nothing to lose. So if you can find that, uh, what's there to be afraid of, what's really the worst case scenario here. It depends on where you are in the standings. Like you said, it, there's a lot to lose when this is, this feels like my one chance to, to play well. Uh, but finding that, um, I've got nothing to lose so maybe golf really can be fun. Um, yeah. It's valuable. It's valuable mm -hmm. for your freedom while you play. Yeah. And that's a powerful exercise, what you just said to go through. If you're like, if you're competing and trying to, to find your way of tapping into that, I think for me, um, something I did try to do often and, and try to, you know, get people to focus on is just being like run through those different outcomes, whatever they are beforehand. It's like, I think golf, there's maybe some of, this like hyper fixation on the positive stuff and like um, 
you know, it, it's, you need to have that mindset of like expecting things to go well and all that stuff. But at the same time, it can create a lot of resistance for people. It can just make you want to block out anything negative or like be afraid if something, be nervous for something bad to come on and, um, you know, like let that sort of, let that, you know, thing in the corner just have a little bit too much attention by trying to resist it. And so I think it's, it's good sometimes to maybe be like, oh, okay, you know, I could shoot 65 today or I could shoot 85. I could finish in the middle of the pack. I could miss the cut here uh, and, and just be like, oh, well, at the end of the day, I'm either going to just go home and have a few days at home or I'm going to have a great week and have a chance to do something special. And like, just remembering, like, it's all running through those things and be like, oh, there's nothing here that's going to like derail me or anything so mm. i feel like yeah. that's a helpful exercise to go through yeah 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 okay so i want to be cognizant of your time <laughs> um hit hit me with your third one uh of the way psychology came into play at the masters i i was between phil and phil's thing and and brooks on the last day but i think i would probably go with brooks on the last day just his his Sunday was just, that was really surprising. I mm. thought I was, uh, I, I find his, especially from psychology standpoint, I find him super interesting. Mm. Um, so I was cool to see him, you know, tap into something, feeling healthy again. I feel like he was really repeating that over and over again, just like to himself and to everybody else. Like I'm going to be great again. Cause I'm healthy, you know? And just kind of convincing himself of that. I feel like that's like was his tool, you know? Mm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But I was, yeah, I was surprised just watching the beginning of his, like the first six or seven holes of his last round. Mm. Just, yeah, just nothing really coming together. Um, that was surprising. I thought it was just going to be an epic battle between those two guys. Yeah. And it just, uh, you know, Ron played incredible and solid, but he, he didn't have to do anything special just because you know, Brooks didn't, didn't put it together, which was, I always love a good fireworks battle on Sunday. So yeah, I feel like this one might've been missing a little bit of that in a way, but sure, it's cool to see that Rom got it done too. Yeah. 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 So then on, on the psychology standpoint, do you, do you feel like uh, it's impossible to know, but do you feel like he just didn't have his stuff or do you feel like he, I mean, he hasn't really been in the heat of the battle in in a long time, um, and been in contention in majors. Like he, yeah, he's he's had flashes here and there, but do you think it was a I just am not used to this, or I'm not ready for this, or I just had a bad day? If you could cast something onto him, what do you think? Maybe it uh, was. I think. Uh, that's a good question impossible to yeah know. yeah yeah <laughs> if you had yeah to. i think he he just didn't seem to be quite as sharp with some of his tools you know and i think uh you know a lot of times maybe that would one thing i saw from caddying and just seeing those guys um and playing with some of them is just most of the time they seem to be pretty darn sharp with the with, you know, their dispersion and, and a lot of, a lot of times it just comes down to like situations that maybe, maybe they misread the wind and hit the wrong club or, you know, I, in that, in this 
case, he seemed kind of off just, you know, with just his own move and hitting shots and, and putting like just yeah. like his first tee shot went way off in like nine fairway. Uh, so I think there was definitely, mm-hmm. you know, something where he wasn't, he definitely wasn't feeling comfortable making good swings in that. Maybe, maybe yeah, it was some comfort level or um, he definitely seemed definitely seemed a little off with the, the just kind of spraying it a little bit randomly. So, yeah. And I don't know how much should be given to this, but, um, like his, his interviews on full swing, the Netflix documentary, Mm -hmm. it felt like he needs to get back to where he was. It really, it really felt like a, um, my life is not complete unless I, can compete in majors again and can, and can get back to where I was. So, I mean, he probably has built it up so much. Like I need to get back there. I need to get back there. I need, and when he's finally back there, it, it might just be too much and it might be, um, impossible to play freely under those kind of expectations. So yeah, if I had to, if I had to pick a psychology thing of, as to why he felt seemed off and not sharp, I, that might be what I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and also, I think now that you mentioned that also, like when he won all those majors toward the, when he first did that, it was a very different perspective. Like he was very much kind of, I think had a chip on his shoulder because nobody really gave him a lot of credit, even though he was winning all those, you know, getting up there and winning a lot. Um, and I, I feel like that kind of gave him mentally like a nice push. Like he was kind of feeding off that. And now it's just different, right? Mm. If there's, if you, people like expect that and it's like, well, what's going on now? Right. So I think he just has to find his own way to get, and that's why I brought up the injury thing. I feel like sure. his, he was trying to tap into some of that by being like, yeah. you know, well, I was back cause I wasn't healthy. So now I'm healthy. Right. And he just, he, it, he is bluntness like that. It's yeah. I find interesting, but didn't, didn't seem to quite hold on to it. Right. Which is. Yeah. 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 It's super interesting. Uh, it, that's what, that's what makes us all fun to watch. Okay. So I cheated a little on my third one. I put out a call for some questions, so I don't, I don't have a third one, but I let kind of some listeners. So maybe we can just like quick hit it, um, on, on mm-hmm. these questions. I got five or six. Um, okay. Michael on Twitter said, obvious question. What's going through your head when you shank a drive on 18, T on Sunday in a major, and I guess he's referring to Rom, how he kind of almost basically snap hooked it on 18. Um, how do you recover? So maybe just some like, what's your quick thoughts on how to recover from that on the last hole on in a major? Yeah, I think in his case, it's just reminding himself that like he's okay, that you know, it doesn't have to look a certain way to get it done. That's the biggest thing, right? Mm. Is like focusing on the, the job, which is. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as I'm, even if he had to go, go re-tee, it's like, you know, I still got shots to play with here. It's like, I think just getting it in the house and reminding yourself like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what this looks like. I think is that's an important mantra mm. to, to hold on to because you don't want to, you want to focus on getting it done and that's it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it was a fortunate break to bounce out directly into the middle of the of the <laughs> hole. But yeah, I love that. Um, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Okay, next question. Um, 
Ryan on Twitter said, what does shoot a number mean and why does it make no sense? Mm. So he's referring, he's referring to how people are like, okay, I just need to get to 13 under for the day and that should do it. Uh, why, why is that not great advice to his, to phrase it like he is saying? Yeah. I think anytime you put a condition on your round like that, it's usually not super helpful. I mean, it can be powerful fuel if, you know, there's no other option. Um, but it, you know, on the flip side, it can be helpful. I think it, the reason people say that is for pros too, especially is like, it just helps them plan out their day without, you know, they can be like, Hey, I need to get to, if I'm starting at nine, I need to get to 13. I can just bury the par fives, for example. Um, and then, you know, they miss an eight foot par putt on a par four or par three or, you know, birdie putt or whatever they can remind themselves of like, okay, this is where I'm planning to make up shots here. So I think that's where it's useful. But on the flip side, it's like, if you set that bar at a certain place, you're just bringing in expectation. And that usually, if you get off that pace, then it just accelerates and it can make you, it can just, you know, add fuel to the negativity fire. Right. Mm. Well said. Okay. How can you get the most out of a day where you don't have it all physically? Hmm. That's a great question. I think first and foremost, like acknowledging that you don't have it physically and like where being aware of, you know, what, what's coming for you that day. I think that's part of what makes some of these guys really, really good is that they know, okay, I can't draw it today. And they're, they're not trying to do that on holes where they're not comfortable and there's some discipline involved in that. Um, so, you know, I think getting the most out of it is kind of acknowledging like, okay, hey, what, where am I missing from and how can I plan accordingly? You know, it might change if the, if I don't have the, if I don't have the draw that day, then it changes maybe which holes I'm going to be aggressive on. On the draw holes, I'm going to, you know, hit hybrid instead of driver out to this side. And then I'm going to focus on, you know, playing a little more aggressive on, the left to right holes. Um, so it's just adjust, like being aware enough to adjust the game plan based on what you're doing and not trying to, and just like catering to it instead of trying to like get out there and maybe fix the swing stuff that's involved in that. Or, you know, that's, I think finding that balance is where those top players are really thrive. Yep. Yeah. Accepting and acknowledging is probably always Mm -hmm. the best place to start. Okay. Last one. If two players are coached the exact same way, why does one player p- play better than the other? So, like these guys on the, uh, you know, at the Masters, it's the best players in the world. They all have the team around them, like you said. They have, you know, fitness, sports psychologists, multiple strategists, and st- statisticians, and sport, whatever. They have everybody. So, they're all getting the top coaching. Why does one play better than the other? Well, I think everybody's not, not everybody's coming in with a blank slate, no matter what, you know, it's like everyone's at different points in their career and, um, they're, you know, um, where they feel like they're at with their game, their tendencies, um, throughout the season, things like that. I think, um, you know, part of being a good coach is not giving the same information to everybody and just adapting to what 
you know, finding the low hanging fruit of what needs to be changed and not changing the stuff that doesn't need to be changed. So not being too cookie cutter. Um, so, you know, I think guys just mm. thrive on, on different, different feels and different, you know, things to focus on. And even if they're coached the same way, they might not have the same makeup in their game. I think so much of the PGA tour results are, um, you know, fairly not, not always predictable. Like it's fun when it's not predictable, but there's a lot you can look at in terms of someone's makeup of their game and how it fits a certain course and being able to kind of see, you know, where it's a good fit and where it's not for certain players. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is just situational. I think a lot of people don't recognize, um, you know, that there's a lot of, a lot of places that even these top players every year, they just don't play well there. <laughs> uh, they know that, you know, you can make a whole season out of mm. three or four or five specific weeks and they'll kind of build their season around that. They really will like focus on, okay, this isn't a good time to work on this adjustment or change because I've got Harbor town in two weeks versus there's a guy who, you know, has never made the cut at that course or things like that. So, mm. um, I think, you know, just, uh, just adapting to your own, you know, personal blueprint and really staying true to that and having a coach who's willing to work with you on that and make it better. Mm. That's, I think where some of that variety and differences come into play. Yeah. Back to the authenticity piece. I think that's, that's extremely well said, knowing yourself, accepting, acknowledging things that you're going through. That's, that's huge. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. We'll, we'll stop it there. Uh, I'd love to have there's so much more that's coming to me as we're talking. So maybe down the road we could talk again, but if you could send people and point people to a direction to find more about you, um, I'll, I'll add anything you need on into the show notes, but, um, where would you send people? How, how can they discover more about you? Yeah. Thank you. I think, uh, the best place honestly to connect is just online on social media. It's the easiest place to find kind of all my information I put out is right there. It's Patrick Grimes golf. Uh, last name g-r-i-m-e-s so all one word that's my instagram and can you know set something up to connect through there that's definitely the best place yeah of course of course i'll add your instagram here so what would you title this episode if you could if you could title it <laughs> mm. i like putting you on the spot yeah maybe i kind of like going back to that book title from the beginning you know uh, um, I think you don't know what you don't know that applies to. And the reason I say that it's, it applies, I think, to what you were asking me about, you know, my own ex perception of my life up to this point, that it's just taken some unexpected directions and that's exciting. Um, and then also as it relates to, to coaching and your own, everyone's own personal process of growing and figuring themselves out is that, it's so valuable to um, I've, it's so valuable to know a lot about a little bit, like have a specific area of interest that you know a lot about. And then it's super helpful to, you know, know a little bit about a lot. So just really diversifying your interests and learning about new things. And that's, that's an aspect I really want. I try to push myself on a lot and want to incorporate more into coaching people. That's great. All right, cool. You don't know what you don't know. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Patrick. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it.
All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Patrick. Uh, it was awesome for me getting to talk to someone with that kind of experience and then getting to talk about the Masters. I um, I, I get out of bed for the Masters. I, I just love it. I live for it. I feel like uh, it's, it's easily my favorite thing to watch all year. It gets me excited. So I, I hope you got some good takeaways from that. I, I hope this was a, a good, unique angle, maybe something you're not hearing in other podcasts. It's not necessarily about um, the, the actual details of when, what went on during the tournament, but some psychology takeaways from it. I, I think that's important for us to be able to learn from the golf that we watch. So I hope this was a, a good perspective into that. Um, and like I always say at the end of these episodes, uh, the, the information that we talk about is definitely not, um, it's not intended for, uh, necessarily to diagnose something that you're going through or, or even, you know, uh, help you with exactly what you're, what's going on with your game. So I, I highly recommend you working with someone like Patrick. Uh, again, you can reach him on Instagram. I'll have his uh, Instagram handle in the show notes, or you can work with someone like myself. Uh, I Both of us have that competitive experience and transitioning into coaching and, and learning more about psychology. And um, we, we would both love to work with you one-on-one. So if you think Patrick or myself would be a good fit for you, um, reach out to us, uh, reach out to him on Instagram and myself. You could send me an email, uh, mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you could head to my website, joshnicholsgolf.com to learn more. You can also follow myself on social media, on Twitter. I'm Josh Luke Nichols, Instagram, Josh Luke Nichols. You can follow the Mental Golf Show. It's Mental Golf Show on everything. So uh, definitely uh, that's the best place to to see more and to learn more and to, to see when the latest episode has come out. Uh, so go on over there, follow those, uh, follow myself and the Mental Golf Show accounts on social, and I guess I will see you there. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the Mental Golf Show. Uh, go leave a review, subscribe if you aren't subscribed. Uh, yeah. Thank you for listening and for always being a listener. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time.